on this first impartation service of the year, thanking you and praising you for the privilege of gathering together in your name. We ask tonight, as touching this service in agreement, we ask, Lord, for utterance. We ask for revelation. We ask, Lord God, for understanding. Father, I pray for every person in this auditorium tonight. Each and every one of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that each and every one of us would would fulfill our race and run it to its fullness. And we give you the praise, Lord. We give you the glory for it. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 Thank you so much. And uh, thank God for our praise and worship team. Let's give them a, a hand tonight. Glory to God. I want you to look in your Bibles this uh, evening to the book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter 1. I had all of my scriptures ready, but I forgot to pick them up from the printer. So, the printer at home, that is. And uh, praise God. God's good. Romans, the first chapter. And it says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you. Notice with me that word, impart, impart unto you. That word impart there simply means to communicate. It means to convey. It means to pass on. It means to transmit. And it means to bestow. Praise the Lord. You know, we just went to Africa a couple of months ago in November. And on the way home, the Spirit of the Lord just got my attention. And basically he said this, son, you don't have to wait to take an international trip to impart to ministers. In other words, we've got a group of ministers right here. All of us are ministers. All of us are diplomatic ministers of the highest order. We are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel and affect people's lives with the good news. Amen? So I don't want you to look at yourself as as a nominal Christian. I want you to look at yourself the way that God sees you. A servant of the Most High God and a minister unto Him for His glory. Amen? Amen. And uh, so that was was good news to me. And of course, Brenda and I have been in ministry, full-time ministry for 40 years. So you would think maybe we learned a couple things. We picked up a few things. There's a whole lot we don't know. But it's kind of like tonight... This is kind of the the beginning of our impartation services. It's like such as we have, we give to you. Amen? So I'm going to do the first one, but there is is so many things in our heart that we would like to impart unto our congregation and to the people. And sometimes you need to call a special meeting together to do this, and so that's what we've done on Sunday night. Our next impartation service will be in the month of March, and I'm sure Brenda will be doing that one. But we got to thinking about it this afternoon. My goodness, you know, you could talk about integrity. You could talk about the spirit of prayer. You could talk about Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. You could talk about the spirit of faith. There are just so many things that we just have to be led by the spirit of God to land on that which is right for the time. Amen? So are you in agreement with me? Now, I don't anticipate this evening laying hands on a bunch of people. You know that you can have an impartation just by being in the room. Just by opening your heart and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, that's me. Of course, we're open to him and we'll just follow the spirit of God. Amen. 
And so all of our lives, your life, my life, all of our ministries should be a transmission to those that he has entrusted us with. Whether it be in your business, whether it be in your home, whether it be in a church or a ministry, he's entrusted each and every one of us with a divine deposit which enables them them to transmit and to teach others also. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. And so the heartfelt desire of every minister of the gospel, every person, and especially Brenda and I tonight, it is to impart something that is life-giving. And to impart something that is life-changing. Amen. All of us have been affected. All of us have been influenced by mentors or spiritual fathers, sometimes even school teachers that were Christians. I want to see the show of hands of people that have been impacted and influenced by good, strong Christian spiritual leaders. Well, that is just about 100% of you. Isn't that awesome? And so, uh, you know, when we think about the people that have impacted us the most, of course, our spiritual father, we, we think of Dad Hagen. And, and uh, you know, one of the greatest things that was imparted to us through his ministry, yes, he was a man of faith. Yes, he was a man of prayer. And yes, he was a man of the Holy Ghost and fire. But he was also a man of love. That's true. And we watched his love walk mm-hmm. when the heat was on. We watched his love walk when he was criticized by experts. You do know what an expert is, don't you? An expert is just a small spurt under pressure or far away from home. And so we saw that love walk. And I'll tell you what, we've had ample opportunity in these 40 years of ministry to walk in love. Amen? How about you? Anybody ever uh, failed the love test? We won't ask for a show of hands. But the good news is this. We can get back on our feet. Say it with me. The love of God. It never fails. So before that we have something to impart. Before we have something to give. We must have first been impacted. You know Peter and John said this. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have. What do I do? I give it to you. So we are called, Brendan and I are called, we are all called to impart the Father's heart. To impart the Father's heart. Now I was greatly influenced by a man of God who graduated from the first year at Rama Bible Training Center. He was a man of God that, that opened really a lot of doors for Brendan and I in the early years of teaching and preaching back in Minnesota and in Minneapolis and in many rural areas. I think at one time we pastored three or four churches on the same day together. We'd get up in the morning and he'd go one way, we'd go another way, then we'd meet back in the afternoon for another meeting. And uh, God used Brenda greatly with rural Minnesota ladies. I'm talking... (laughs) People that were very, very closed and conservative. He used this little Holy Ghost preacher full of fire and full of the word to go in their living rooms and impart the Spirit of God into their lives. Laid hands on a lot of them. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. And those towns and those cities have never been the same. But one of the things that then I heard over and over again was these words as I would hang up, as we would talk, he would just say, keep marching, keep marching. 
And the word uh, marching means to continue a course of action, to go forward, to advance, and to proceed. If we are ever going to fulfill His will, if we are ever going to finish our race, we must learn to persevere. Somebody says, isn't there anything else on the menu? That's it. That's it. We must learn to persevere. Show me a person who doesn't endure, and I'll show you a person who will not be found faithful and who will never finish their course. Persistence. Perseverance doesn't mean that we just all hang on and hold out faithful, but that we practically and proactively, aggressively and continually give ourselves to doing God's will with all the strength and all the grace He provides. And I've discovered this, that He's got layers and layers of grace. He's got grace upon grace for your race. About the time you think you can't make it, I just want you to know God's grace is sufficient for you. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Try that one on for size. If I was a spiritual tailor, I would say, say this, God's grace, it is sufficient for me. It will strengthen you in the midst of adversity. Perseverance is needed to fulfill what God's put in your heart to do. How many of you can just know in your heart what God's put in your heart to do? I mean, that's all of you. So what is perseverance, Pastor Mark? Perseverance is continuing in a course of action in spite of opposition and difficulty or adversity. You know, if you think of anybody in the Bible that faced some adversity, how about Paul? I mean, everywhere he went, the devil was stirred up. And why was the devil stirred up? Because he was a carrier of great revelation. And the enemy did not want him to get that revelation into the people's hearts. So they tried to stone him and and, uh, they, they, they just did all sorts of things to try to stop him. Here's a truth that you need to embrace. Satan can never stop you, even though he may hinder you temporarily. So if you feel like, you know, maybe there's some things that you've been hindered in, just know this, that God is on the move, on the move, hallelujah, and he ain't finished with you yet. So dust off that vision that God has given you and stir yourself up and step up and step in to the fullness of the plan of God. Amen? Here's a couple of things that Paul said. These are golden truths. He said, now, he said, I behold, I I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Except the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city that bonds and afflictions abide me. So Paul knew that there was troubles and tests out ahead, but Paul didn't stop. And we must not stop what God has started in our lives. That's exactly what the enemy would love to do, is to get us to stop on this path 
of the call of God. But here's what Paul said. But none of these things move me. Evidently, Paul was moved by something else. He was not moved by the test ahead. He was moved by the call in his heart. None of these things move me. We need to learn to say that, especially when it looks dark. And especially when it looks difficult. I don't count my life dear to myself, he said. None of these things move me. Now listen to this. So that I might finish my course with depression. So that I might finish my course with what? Joy. Why do you think we have joy of the Lord services here at Heart of the Bay? Because we feel like it? No, because we need them. I'm telling you, joy will strengthen you. It'll fuel your tank up. So that you may run the race that God has before you. That I may finish my course with joy. How many of you know it's good to laugh? Just find something to laugh about and laugh. Just don't ridicule people and be naughty and laugh at them. Sometimes I just look in the mirror and I say, look at my hair this morning. And I have a good laugh. I'm wondering if Brenda would approve a tomahawk for me. <laughs> Laughter, the Bible says... <laughs> They're giving me trouble. I said a tomahawk and it's a mohawk. (laughs) Well, see, you got to learn to laugh at yourself. I have made some golden pulpit bloopers. Some of which are not even worthy of saying in a public setting. But I made a mistake. And I could have gotten down on myself, but you know, I just decided to laugh. I mean, it was like the time. This wasn't a bad time. It was doing a wedding uh, for Brother Tony and our sister Valerie. And they were getting married. And those were the days, you know, of heavy metal and the hair was all over the place. What do they call that? Frizzed out or whatever. And uh, I was standing up there and the whole wedding company had their hair all over the place. And I don't know that I said this, but I did. Someone told me about a year later. I said, let's all bow our hair for prayer. <laughs> Gotta laugh at you. We, we could think of some other ones. I could bring George out here too. And, but some of them just aren't clean. And one time, I mean, it happened right on an Easter Sunday, man. I was preaching good. The Lord was really helping me. And I got my words mixed up, and some lady in the back went, ah! and I thought, oh, Jesus, did I really say that? But Paul's vision, it propelled him. It inspired him. And it kept him moving. Amen? I submit to you this evening that a good sense of humor and laughing at the devil and laughing at yourself and not taking life too seriously and purposing in your heart to enjoy life will keep your vision alive. 
It will inspire you. Now, along the way, we're going to face tests. James said it like this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, or endurance, or perseverance. But, he says, now let patience have its perfect work, that you may perfect, be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. Yeah. The Amplified says, let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and let it do a thorough work. Now, the understood subject of that sentence is we must let it do a thorough work. And if we're talking discouragement, and if we're talking quitting, and if we're talking woe is me, we're not letting endurance have its perfect work. We're giving place to the enemy. So our words that we speak on a regular basis are extremely important. What you say over your life, what you say over your loved ones, what I say over this flock is extremely important. Amen. And there are times that I need to call those things that be not as though they were about myself, and I need to call those things which be not as though they were about the church. But you know, you're better calling the things which be not as though they were than calling them like they are. It's always best to stay in faith. Kenneth Copeland says this, that faith-filled words, they will dominate the laws of sin and death. So patience, endurance, consistency, constancy, steadfastness. I can say that about Pastor Tom. I can say that about Pastor Nancy. These guys have been with me longer than I've been with myself. (laughs) Just about. And they have patiently endured through the seasons of life and through the seasons of ministry. There's just not a whole lot we haven't seen and there's not a whole lot we haven't been through. But the good news is this, we're through. And so can you be. No matter what is happening in your life, I just want to encourage you. That's one of the giftings that God has given me, the gift of encouragement. One of the things that's big in my heart, part of our vision, is to be a man of God that gives hope to people. Because hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. A people without, a person without hope can be fully bummed out, but a person with hope can look at life and say, you know what? I'm expecting that things are going to get better. I'm expecting that tomorrow is going to be better than today. I'm expecting my loved ones to come in. I'm expecting the money to come in. I'm expecting the souls to come in. I'm expecting the glory to fall. I'm expecting the fire to fill our church. So better to live that way than to live wimply. That's not even a word. But better to be a warrior than a wimp. Amen. And so the primary area that people miss it in, in life, in relationships, is they just quit. So life, the ministry, the business, the Christian race is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And it is an endurance race. Amen. Well, somebody says, I fell in my lane 
in my race. Fine, get up. Okay, you missed it. Join the club. Who hasn't? But don't stay down. Get up. Because there's a rushing mighty wind behind you that will attend your way if you won't give up and you won't quit. God is for you and he's moving on your behalf. So Hebrews says, don't cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. How many of you are standing on the promise of something? Don't you dare let your fearless confidence, don't fling it away. Hold fast to it. The message says this, don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. But you need to stick it out. Staying with God's plan so you will be there for the promise completion. You know, if everything happened overnight and right away, we wouldn't need to walk by faith. We live in a world of entitled people who think that everybody owes them something. And when they don't get what they think they're entitled to, they just quit. People quit their families. People quit their friends. People quit their church. And the problem is this, is people like that never grow up. They stay in the spiritual nursery for the rest of their lives. And they could be 67 years old like I am, but if they've never applied themselves to consistency and constancy, if they've never stayed the course, they're nothing but a spiritual baby. But that's not us. I said, that's not us. That's not us. So we know that the enemy is consistent. His plan is to discourage us to the point of quitting. And here's what Brenda and I want. And I'm so glad that God teamed me up with a Holy Ghost girl. I'm so blessed. I, I, just, I just stood in amazement when I got attacked, you know, in the beginning of the month. And, you know, I could have preached, but it wouldn't have been edifying for you. And I don't have anything to prove. I thank God that my wife just stepped up and preached a masterpiece on Sunday morning, on Sunday night and Wednesday night. I thank God that God has placed a partner with me for life. Amen. Amen. And you need to understand this, that God's got a partner for you. He's got a faith buddy for you. You may be single, but God's got all sorts of men and women of faith for you to stand with you and to lock shields with you. Somebody shout amen. Amen. But if there's one thing that Brenda and I really want, we want our lives and our ministry to be an example of perseverance. And we saw this. We got this from the Hagans. You pick up on impartations by who you associate with. So we want to make sure then that we are associating with the right people. And you don't really need to know Kenneth Copeland to pick up the spirit of faith that Kenneth Copeland has. All you need to do is read and listen. Isn't that good news? You don't need to pick up what some of these great women of God have to, to, you don't have to have lunch with them. You don't have to go to dinner with them. All you need to do is be in close proximity to what they're saying and to what they're teaching. Come on, somebody. But we got this from the Hagans, this, this association of never give up. 
Never quit. Never say die. I mean, Dad Hagen was like that. Dad Hagen, when he started out in ministry, he had an old beat-up jalopy, hardly had anywhere to preach. He was so poor in the beginning stages of his ministry that he could hardly have enough room to put two nickels together. And yet, he would drive from coast to coast. He would drive from north to south. And he was obeying the call of God that God placed on his life, which was, go teach my people faith. Oh, hallelujah. I am so glad that in those dark hours of driving at three in the morning, when the tires were so bald that they sounded like they were talking to him, He literally said, one tire spoke up and then the other tire joined in. And the next thing I know, all all four tires were talking to me saying, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And Brother Hagin would say, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Thank God he didn't quit. Thank God he didn't dismiss the leading of the Spirit of God to start Rhema Bible Training Center back in 1975. Thank God He obeyed the Lord. If He had not obeyed the Lord, we wouldn't be here tonight. But I saw His consistency. I saw His willingness to tough it out. And you know, ministry can be difficult. And it can be tough. I know from a financial point of view, they've had some difficult days. But I saw those men stand on God's word. And at the end of the day, God always came through. Isn't that an awesome thing? And then I look at Pastor Hagen. My goodness, Pastor Hagen is 78 years old now. I got a text from him this morning. Well, this afternoon, he usually sends me an early morning text on Sunday morning just with a little word and so forth. He, it's a group text. And he said, well, he said, you know, I've been preaching eight weeks twice a day. And I have been on crusades for a week. And he says, I've been preaching three times a week in the church. And he said, plus all the office things. He says, I'm going to go get some R&R. I'm taking a week off. Here's a, 78 years old. He does not have to get in the pulpit. He could go to High Wire. <laughs> That's what they call Hawaii down south. Hawaiian. His golden statement that comes out of his mouth all the time. He says, I shall not be defeated. And I will never quit. Now listen. He had a golden opportunity to quit. I was with him right after Dad Hagen passed away in 2003. We went down to the funeral. And I went down there just to hang around with Pastor Ken. Because I knew he needed a buddy. And, so, and, of course, Lynette and Brenda were in a meeting, I believe, together. Kind of the Flame meeting. And uh, right after Dad passed away. And so we were down on the lake, and we were, you know, just enjoying the lake. And then we went to uh, a, a little country restaurant and enjoyed some biscuits and gravy and some chicken fried steak. And you know how they do down there. Black-eyed peas and everything. And then, and then he made me go to a, a car race. <laughs> You know, where they race on the dirt? Man, I was coughing that dirt out of my lungs for about a month afterwards. And you were texting me and saying... (laughs) And I was texting Brenda saying, help, get me out of here. (laughs) But I'll never forget it. You know, we're we're driving back home. He's going to drop us off at the hotel. And we're driving by Rama over there on 71st Street. 
And Pastor Hagen looked at the building, the initial building of Ramah. And he says, Dad, why'd you have to go? Why did you have to go? Dad, why did you have to leave us? It's a tough time. Those are shoes that could never be filled by anybody. And so a lot of people bailed. A lot of the support, hundreds of thousands of dollars of ministers that supported Hagen Ministries. While Dad was alive, they just bailed. Because after all, who is this Pastor Hagen? He's not Dad Hagen. Writing nasty letters. But I want you to know, Rhema is not only afloat, but Rhema is doing better than it's ever done before. Come on, somebody. And I know for a fact, he's had some big checks come their way. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, God is not limited by sourpusses. Hallelujah. He's the God that's more than, more than enough if you will just trust Him. I know on two different occasions, a million dollar check here and a million dollar check there. But it would never happen if Pastor Ken went home and put the covers over his head and cried and was discouraged. You know what he did? He acted on what he'd been saying all those years. I cannot be defeated. I cannot be defeated. Come on, everyone, say this to me. I will not be defeated. And I will never quit. Just another nugget here. If you have a friend that's going through a difficult time, stick with them. Love them. A real friend walks in when everyone else walks out. That's right. Amen. So that that just I mean that that'll get off on you. Yes, it will. That'll just man. It's kind of like wow. If they can do it, then by the grace of God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If they can endure in that season of life, I can endure a building program. I can endure going to the city three times. And you know what? By the grace of God, we did. And we sit tonight in our possessed land. Amen? And of course, there's all sorts of things, all sorts of illustrations that we could give you. But I just wanted you to see that, that this can come by the association. Because here's what happens. The Holy Ghost brings strength. He brings courage and he brings hope. Now, I think a message that has been bypassed by a lot of Word of Faith teachers and a lot of people in my camp, in our camp, I think the message of suffering has not been preached like it should be. Now, don't misunderstand me. You and I do not have to suffer for what Jesus suffered for us. F.F. Bosworth said this. He said, Jesus went to the cross, spirit, soul, and body to redeem mankind, what? Spirit, soul, and body. So in his great substitutionary sacrifice, I don't have to suffer sin. I don't have to suffer disease. I don't have to suffer poverty. I don't have to suffer mental oppression because I have been and you have been redeemed from that. 
We talked this morning about having a covenant with a covenant-keeping God. It has been bought and paid for. Yet Jesus himself suffered. The Bible said that he even faced and suffered temptation yet without sin. In the book of Hebrews, listen to this. It says this, that though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. I mean, Jesus was talked about. Jesus was insulted. They hated him. I mean, they literally despised him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they wanted him completely done and completely gone 100% out of their lives. They spit on him. They insulted him. They said, who is this? Who does he think he is? Is this not the carpenter's son? They didn't value him. They talked about him. Jesus suffered. And you know what? If they hated him, some people are going to hate you. If they talked about him, they're going to talk about you. But you know what? Let them talk. Because their words cannot affect me. The words that I speak are the words that are going to affect me. The words that I speak are the words that are going to impact my life. Amen? So don't be insecure if the whole, whole world doesn't love you. I've got, a good, I've got news for you. They don't. Get over it. Now listen to this scripture. And I do want you to turn there. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Are we okay tonight? In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, it says this. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Listen to this. After you've suffered a while, he will make you perfect. He will establish you. He will strengthen you. And what else will he do? He will settle you. He will complete you. He will make you what you ought to be. He will establish you and ground you securely and strengthen you and settle you. We could give illustrations of different accusations and different things that have been said about us over the years. But you know what? I'm not going to give Satan any place. I'm not going to rehearse the past because quite frankly, I've forgiven anyone and everyone that has ever wronged me. I've forgiven anyone and everyone that's influenced people to leave this church to go to another church. I just have done it. And it's happened through the years. I've discovered this. You don't belong to me. I said, you don't belong to me. You belong to God. And you are free moral agents to be led by the Holy Ghost. Does that sound like a cult to you? No. That's because we're not. God is love. I could tell you some stories, but I'm not going to give any place to the enemy. Just mark it down. We've been there, and we've done that. And God has always seen us through. Whoo, hallelujah. So what do you do? You keep walking on. You keep moving. Brenda, I said, now, Brenda, can you think of something we could, we could share a little bit tonight? You know, because there's things that's not proper to share. She says, December... At a royal high school. And I thought, aha, that's something I can share. Way back in 1989, 
when they were building the building over there on Royal Avenue, we were asked to move out of the facility we were in in the high school, at Marina High School, and the building over there wasn't done yet, so we had to go to a Royal High School. And I'll never forget that December Christmas service. The heat wasn't working, and while I was preaching, I could see. It was like I was in Green Bay playing a football game. I mean, it was cold, wasn't it, Pastor Tom? Alice remembers. So, you know, that these are little light afflictions. These are little things that you go through. But you know what? We make it through. So make the decision. I'm not a quitter. I'm going to get there. Persistence in the face of discouragement. Persistence is more than just not quitting. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 in the Amplified Version, if you would. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Oh, let this word get you tonight. Ha, ha, ha. Some of you have been thinking about quitting. I ain't going to let you quit. That's what Brenda used to say to me. Because every Monday morning, in the early years of ministry, I'd want to back up the U-Haul and leave. And she said, I married a preacher. You are not quitting. I said, yes, ma'am. Pass the biscuits, please. (laughs) Thank God for a great wife. I had a kind of new model. If you feed them, they will stay. You want to share a little bit? You look so cute tonight. You know, anytime, it's like popcorn. You just pop up and say... Pastor, I got something. Honey, I got something. If you feed them, they will stay. Oh, Brenda just said, if you feed them, they will stay. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10. And let us, this goes for all of us, let us not lose heart. Let us keep our heart strong. The strong spirit of a man will sustain him in a time of weakness. Let us not lose heart and grow weary. We've got to watch out for weariness. Yeah. And one of the be- here's another nugget. One of the best things you can do to whip weariness is go to bed. <laughs> I mean, take a nap. Make sure you're taking care of your temple. Because I think a lot of times people get weary is because they're putting the wrong kind of things in their body and they're having weird reactions in their body and it affects their mind. Here's another nugget. Make sure you drink plenty of water. And I've got some vitamins out in the car. I'll sell you for $100 a bag. No. <laughs> Can I just say this? You will never find Pastor Mark and Brenda trying to sign you up on a pyramid thing. You'll never find that. Thank God for integrity. And let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due season, at the appointed season, we shall reap. Now listen, if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. Persistence in the face of the mundane. Will you allow me to read this to you? This is really good. Persistence in the face of the mundane. 
I've often heard people express frustration because they don't feel that their assignment in the body of Christ is as exciting or as fulfilling as that of others. Everyone say, I refuse to compare myself with any other part of the body of Christ. They may see their work as tedious and monotonous, whereas the work of a missionary or an evangelist is perceived to be more significant and consequential. It's important to realize, though, that every task in the body of Christ is significant. And God does not take anyone's assignment or work as unimportant. I love that. One time when David and his men were on a military expedition, 400 of the men continued with him, but 200 of them, due to exhaustion, stayed with the equipment. And after their victory, some of the soldiers did not want the ones who stayed behind to receive any of the spoils. But David protested strongly and said, We share and share alike those who go to the battle and those who guard the equipment. How many of you know there's rewards for being faithful? The writer goes on to say this, Some people are inclined to think that only the missionary on the front lines is important, or the prophet, or the prophetess, or the pastor, with 2,500,000 people in their church, with offerings of 100 million every Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. He says, if you type letters, you keep the books, you clean the carpets, know that what you do is important in the kingdom of God. Be persistent, be consistent in working with excellence. I heard something recently that just really grabbed my attention. You know, Brother Copeland, many years ago, he would bring in musicians from the outside to help cut their albums, their CDs, and their DVDs. And these were musicians that were kind of hired hands. And one of the musicians got kind of tired because it was a long day. I don't really know what it's like putting together an album of music, but I would assume it's a big task, isn't it, P.T.? A lot of concentration. A lot of concentration. And, and one of the guys said, well, it's good enough for gospel, I'm done. Whoa. Good enough for gospel? You know one thing for sure, he never was invited back. So we want to do things with excellence. And you know what that means, guys? That means being on time. And I'm not scolding anybody. I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down. But I tell you what, if you've been given a... Uh, if you've been given an opportunity to serve in a visible way in this church, it's an honor. It's an honor. And we should take very seriously what God has called us to do because we are examples to the flock. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And then persistence. Persistence in the face of failure. Michael Jordan, considered by many to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time next to Steph Curry. (laughs) Michael said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I'm almost, I've lost almost 300 games 26 times. I've been trusted to take the game winning shot and missed. I've never, I've I, I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. 
You know, I, I estimate that Brenda and I, over the course of 40 years, have preached just about 5,500 messages. And not all of them, in my estimation for myself, have been game-winning shots. I mean, they, they, they haven't been like your grand slam, you know? And especially when I was younger, I would allow myself to get greatly bothered by that. And I had too much introspection going on. And many times when I would leave the pulpit, I would just feel like an absolute failure. I just feel, oh man, that wasn't any good. That, you know, nobody got anything out of that. About the time that would happen, two little old sweet ladies would come up and say, Pastor, that was just what I needed to hear. I said, really? (laughs) I said, thank you, Jesus. So in a sense, we could say that I'm not a failure, but we've all failed, right? But really, striving to be... Now listen, striving to be the very best that God has called you to be. And stretching forth toward excellence will make you a success in life. He said, in reality, our attitude toward failure is always more important than the event of a failure. One person said this, failure is the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. The great men of the Bible are not men or women who never failed, but who didn't quit. Not men who, had, who never failed, but men who now to get up and get going. Moses, for heaven's sake, murdered a man. David committed adultery and murdered a man in an attempted cover-up. Don't ever scold people that have failed and missed it in the moral area of life. But be there as a person that will pour in the oil and pour in the wine. Be a part of their answer, not a part of judgmentalism and being a part of the problem. I've seen God take people out of the pit of immorality and put them back into the pulpit. And today they have ministries four times the size we do. Amen. Now, there's some people that they don't want to change. They don't want to repent. What do you do with them? You just love them. And you pray for them. And you pray that God would get their attention. Being judgmental is a dangerous thing. It really, really is. Jesus said this, With what measure you meet, it shall be measured back to you again. Peter cut a man's ear off with a sword. Paul persecuted the church. All of these men had failed. All of them needed forgiveness. And all of them needed God's mercy in order to have another chance and a new beginning. Say this with me. Persistence Persistence. creates longevity on the team. Any seasoned leader will tell you That it's difficult to build a cohesive, efficient team when there is constant turnover among the members. Now, I realize that members sometimes will be directed to another assignment. That's fine. But listen very carefully. 
there's something healthy for the individual and the church when team members stay put and really grow grow, and establish tenure and an increasing proficiency in their position. You see, there's a tendency among some to always be hopping from one thing to another. To be in position just long enough to be able to do a good job and then leave. I wonder what some people miss by leaving too soon. I wonder what some people are missing by having the charismatic musical chair syndrome. Now, if you're a seasoned believer who has been serving God for many years, now is not the time to let up and to take it easy. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Yeah, I got a pulse. I got a purpose. What are you saying tonight? I'm saying passionately serve God until you take your final breath. Because your final breath will be ever so much sooner than what we would think. If you live a hundred years, in God time, that's about an hour. If you're a young believer, purpose in your heart that you're going to run your race with endurance and that your zeal for serving God will not fade over time. Be an enduring Christian. James said that like this. He said, blessed, happy, and to be envied is the man who endures temptation. For when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And hey, I saw something when I preached this message up in Wilmer two summers ago to a group of ministers. I saw two words. One was endure, but the other one was endue. And what that is saying to us is that God will endue you with power from on high so that you can be strengthened to endure whatever you may face. And the scripture for that is found in Luke. And I'll just quote it for you. It says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with what? So he endues so that we may endure. Hallelujah. Gives you power to endure. Now we don't go to Jerusalem to wait, but we go to the secret place. And we wait and we get in his presence and there comes a fresh endowment. There comes a fresh anointing and there comes strength for you and I to go from glory to glory to glory. David Livingston said this, I determined never to stop until I had come to the end and achieved my purpose. See, to endure is not just grin and bear it. To endure is, means to exist, not, not just to exist or survive. To endure means to overcome. Yeah. What does endurance look like? Endurance looks like this. that you do, this, you do the same good things you were doing before the crisis came. You keep living. 
You keep practicing. You keep praying. You keep loving. And you keep serving. To endure is to stay on target no matter how tough or how tight it gets. Like that post-it stamp. It sticks to its job until it arrives. We don't need just starting commitment. We need enduring commitment. Years ago in an Olympic race, I showed the film here. There was a man from another country that started the race, and he fell, and he hurt himself desperately and tragically. And yet he got up, and they tried to get him off the track. But he just kept moving. He kept running. He kept going. He kept going. And he finished last, but he finished. And he was quoted at saying this. <laughs> oh, I love it. He said, my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start and did not finish. God didn't send his son for us to start and to not finish. Hallelujah. Oh, that's a powerful truth. Take time to wait on the Lord. I think what happens with a lot of ministers, they just move too fast. Did you know that the African cheetah, it can run 70 miles an hour. It can travel at 70 miles an hour, but it can't sustain it. Why? Because it runs out of gas. You know why? Because it has a small heart. The larger your heart is, the more you're strengthened in your spirit, the more that you will be able to run with the vision that God has placed before you. Is this okay tonight? Yes. Let's stand up, everybody. I've preached long enough. And we're going to close this service just by having an altar call. We're going to come to the altar and we are going to make a fresh commitment to endure and to finish what God has placed before us. When I think of endurance, I think about Noah. He endured a hundred years. I think about Joseph who endured the pit and the jail and Nehemiah who endured criticism and Moses who endured Egypt and Pharaoh. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Pray this with me. Father in Jesus' name, you didn't create me just to be a starter. You designed all of us to be finishers. And strong finishers at that. And so tonight I yield my life to you. And I ask you to build persistence. And endurance. Into the very core of my being. I pray that I'll never become lethargic. Or yield to apathy. But that I will tenaciously pursue your plan. And apply myself to your work until my final breath. My, may I never grow weary in well-doing. Thank you for a fresh endowment from the Holy Spirit tonight to strengthen me. And so I embrace your plan for my life that I may bear fruit. And that my fruit would remain 
in the name of Jesus.